0: Welcome into NHL at the Rink. We're recording this on Tuesday. I'm Dan Rosen, your host. And to my right, once again, becoming a regular co-host is Sean Rourke. Sean, Thanksgiving week. Are you
1: excited? I'm excited. You know what? After we finish uh, recording this, I'm going to listen to it maybe 15 times on my drive home to New England for, <laughs> for Thanksgiving <laughs> yeah, it'll be, it'll on There'll there. be a little bit of traffic for you there. might be a little bit of traffic, so we should maybe do five episodes. Five episodes to give you a little
0: time? <laughs> I don't know if the kids want to hear five episodes of us talking. That's all right. They don't have a say. Uh, well, that's a good point. So Thanksgiving week, it's U.S. Thanksgiving week, obviously. What's your uh,
1: What's on the table that you love? You're not even going to know this one. This is a Rourke specialty. Oh, this
0: is probably a Rhode Island specialty, isn't it? I don't even know if
1: it's a Rhode Island specialty. Christmas salad, we have it at Thanksgiving. It's marshmallows, whipped cream, pineapples, and grapes. What? It's the best ever. You put it with your turkey and your mashed potatoes. Oh, fantastic. sounds terrible. Oh, it's so good. I'm a traditionalist, but
0: you got to like the sweet potatoes, mashed sweet potatoes with some baked marshmallows on top. That's so why I like to we go. We both
1: got marshmallows going you know, we on. We got marshmallows. but you Might got, explain a lot about us. You got
0: way too much fruit going on in the <laughs> on a Thanksgiving table. Anyway, let's get to the podcast. We're going to have Nick Katsanika on our columnist from NHL.com, and we will be asking him a little bit about the Mike Babcock situation with Mitch Marner, both of them confirming, admitting that a number of years ago Mike Babcock asked Mitch Marner to rate his teammates' effort from hardest to least hardest. That was in the year 2016 17. That's obviously come to light since the firing of Babcock, all the fallout in Toronto. Mike Babcock has come out and said he regrets that decision, has apologized to Mitch Marner. Marner has confirmed that Babcock has apologized, that their relationship mended and it was fine. But it does obviously lead to a question about Mike Babcock. Is there a stain on his resume now as he maybe looks to get another job in the National Hockey League? So we'll ask Nick about that. We also have Minnesota Wild general manager Bill Guerin on to talk about the Wild and their start in his first few months as the general manager, but I wanted to keep it on the ice at the start here, Sean, and go to Rasmus Dahlin and the Buffalo Sabres, a concussion for Dahlin, sustained in the 5-2 loss against the Tampa Bay Lightning on Monday, and Eric Chernak is the one that clipped him with the elbow, he's going to have a, he is having a hearing with the Department of Player Safety, we're recording this before we get any news on that hearing, but... What a tough blow at a tough time for the Buffalo Sabres to lose Rasmus Dalin.
1: Oh, it's unbelievable. I mean, they're they're foundering and they have been since before they went to Europe a couple of weeks ago. Um, every game's close. I think you know they're they're still trying to find their identity. I think the the ghosts of last year when they followed a very yeah. similar path are are haunting them a little bit. And I think one of Ralph Krueger's main job is as the new coach there and and one I think he can be successful at is to convince the holdovers that this is not a repeat of the disaster they had last year when they led the league in late November and then the bottom fell out and and they plummeted towards the the seller. But uh, you know, a- and and you've already seen some of it. Some of those guys that really struggled through last year are playing well. Rhys Delaney who's gonna have to be good now, even better now, I- if Daleen's out for any period of time, is playing almost 24 minutes a game and has, has really flourished under Ralph. So I think a- and then you look at some of the scores, the same thing. So I think the message is getting through individually as a team now. They have to come together. Yeah, it, it's hard not to say we've seen this story before. It's
0: hard not To like, I was on this podcast and in a mailbag and doing other things, pumping out the Buffalo Sabres saying this is different, this is different. But the one thing you needed to see, especially when they got off to that nine, two, and one start, was when they struggled, how quickly they could get out of it. Well, they're two, eight, and two in their last 12 games. That's a lot, that is a good chunk of time. And you, so now I do wonder, like. Am I going to be guilty of a second year in a row, because I did it last year with Buffalo, too, of believing that the wins were going to start coming and they were going to be okay? And you remember last year they were 17-6-2 on November 27th, and they went 16-33-8 the rest of the way. I'm wavering a little bit again on them. I think it's different. Because I think Jack Eichel's maturity, his leadership maturity is is better. I think the message from Ralph Kruger, as you were touching on, gets through more than the message from Phil Housley. Not a knock on Housley. It's just the way Kruger delivers his message. Some of the guys are playing better. But, boy, I, I, I was saying it about a month ago that when they hit, this, hit, hit a slump, how quickly are they going to get out of it? They're not getting out of it. They're, they're not showing many signs.
1: Well, they've played a lot of really close games, so uh, you losing know, if, they, them. if they could turn that around, I think the biggest challenge for Ralph is going to be, and, and the thing that struck me when I spent a lot of time with him in, in Stockholm, is he was talking to the, the Swedish coaches that had a, a conference, and one of the things he said, he said, is I, I don't even acknowledge a problem until I have a solution for it, and we're not negative, we're not a negative culture. We don't bring up negatives with our players. We bring up positives. When they do something well, we'll tell them when they did something wrong, but then we'll point out what they did well. And I think that that is such a different message for today's players. And I think it resonates with the younger players today that, but it also takes a while for it to take effect, guys are so used to being called on the carpet when they lose and when they struggle, and, and for that pervasive negativity to take over. A- and Ralph Kruger's trying to not allow that to happen, yeah. but. Uh, it's an institutional battle i think that he's facing and it's going to be really interesting as we go across the holiday season and we get into the new year if they can find their footing and make a respectable run look they're in a really tough division and if they give up many more points that hill may be too hard too high to climb
0: they, he's not trying to punish he doesn't punish this this team he's trying to build and grow with this team and that that's what they, that's why they hired him they didn't hire him to you know To to whip him into shape or anything like that. But let's stay in the Atlantic Division. And Keith Yandel, my goodness. Sean, let me tell you something. If I lost one tooth in a hockey game, and I don't play regularly, but if I lost one tooth, maybe i come back in that game on the bench. Probably not going back on the ice. Two. I'm out. Sorry. That's my excuse. I'm done. Nine. He lost nine teeth on a dump in. The puck hits him in the face Saturday night in the first period, and he played the third period. He came back, and then he played Sunday, too, and has kept his Iron Man streak alive at 821 games. I don't know what more to say about Keith, Keith Yandel. I mean, we talk about toughness, and it's an overused term, but that's toughness. My goodness. I lost
1: my front tooth in sixth grade playing hockey in the recess yard. Okay. I missed three days of school. (laughs) I'm still haunted by it to this day. (laughs) Nine teeth. Nine teeth. Unbelievable. I think the quote of the day from that was Aaron Ekblad, another one of the defensemen on that team. He said, I was surprised to see him come back, but I wasn't surprised. That's amazing. Like That's who Yandel is. All kinds of work done. It was worse. Like At least Saturday, they put a bunch of needles, Novocaine in, killed it. Right. probably doesn't even feel his face at that point. Sunday, horrendous. And then he plays again. Uh-huh. and he plays 20 minutes and now he's getting more work done and he'll be out there when they play again tomorrow yeah so uh, it's unbelievable and look there's three guys in the league now that have huge streaks and when you think about all the games that other players have missed you have Marlowe who's only 13 games behind him I think and Phil Kessel will play in his 800 800th game yeah. on Wednesday like those are astronomical numbers, the way the game is played today with the travel, with the physical nature of it, and, and just how fast the game's come, and, and, and how well the players play them now. There's, there's no taking a night off. There's no hiding out there.
0: So Doug Jarvis's streak is the NHL record Ironman streak, 964 games. The has got a ways to go to get to that, but if he's playing after getting surgery and dental work done all day and losing nine teeth, I don't know what keeps this guy out of the what would keep this guy out of the lineup other than, you know, broken bones where he obviously can't play. But I mean, that this Ironman streak is in jeopardy, not just from Yandel, but Marlowe. And as you mentioned, Kessel who's going to go for 800. It's it's remarkable that these guys today with the speed of the game, with how fast things go and how dangerous it can be out there that they
1: can just continue to play and play and play and play. Well, and two things with Yandel is he's a defenseman. Yeah. So he's blocking a lot of shots. Playing play, more minutes. He's playing physical. And over the course of the streak, 21 minutes and 7 seconds per game is what he plays. Mm. That's a ridiculous number to to escape relatively unscathed over more than 800, 900 games.
0: Let's talk about another ridiculous number. The New York Islanders' 17-game point streak is over. Lost 3-0 against the Anaheim Ducks on Monday. In the streak, plus nineteen in goal differential, fifty-seven to thirty-eight. They're eighty-five point seven percent on the penalty kill, and nine zero and two in one-goal games during the streak. It's over. Things good things come to an end, but I think we need to admire this streak for what it is or what it was. And I think the New York Islanders belong in the conversation as legitimate Stanley Cup contenders now. Oh, for sure. And look, but, but I don't think anybody thought they were going to be in that conversation at. At this point, really, at any point, I mean, yeah, they they swept the Penguins last year and then they got swept by the Hurricanes. I don't think people looked at the I did not even pick them to make the playoffs. I don't even I don't think people look at the Islanders in that light. But now you have to.
1: And the, Well, they never do. Right. They're one of those yeah. teams that you always discount. Look, they're number three when you debut your new power rankings mm-hmm. um, later this week. Uh, Wednesday Wednesday yes. uh, moves up a day because of the holiday yep. um, they're number three for me but there's some numbers in that streak or overall numbers for the Islanders that make me a little bit nervous yes. right like they they don't score a ton they score more than they did they're scoring three goals but overall this year I think they're plus two in goal differential for the season and the other thing is they give up way more shots than they allow and look and they have great goaltending but they gave up 152 more shots than they've allowed. The other teams that have given up more than 100 shots than they've allowed are teams like the Ottawa Senators, the Detroit Red Wings, the New York Rangers, the New Jersey Devils. What do all those teams have in common? The Anaheim Ducks that beat them last night. All those teams have in common, they're not in the playoff picture right now. Because you can't – I don't care how good your goaltending is, you cannot survive night to night giving another team more chances than you get, especially – when the games are huge, that begs the question
0: then for the Islanders, and I, I touched on this in my weekly mailbag, which runs, which ran Tuesday. Is what else do they need? And I think there's two players you could look at that they're different in terms of what they could get. Taylor Hall, that that's one player who I we I think certainly will be on the mar- in the market if he isn't already. He doesn't look like he's going to re-sign with the New Jersey Devils before the end of the season. So Taylor Hall, if you if you're Ray Shiro. You got Taylor Hall. You, you, you're trying to, you know, maybe you're trying to pedal him, see what you can get for him. You call Lou Lamarillo and you say, Lou, I got Taylor Hall, and maybe can you th- I'll trade him to you? I need 19-year-old defenseman Noah Dobson in the trade.
1: What do you think? I think Lou would be interested. I he's, think he has to be. Right? He's done it before. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. Kovalchuk, he's brought in big players before to to try and push his team over the top. He is not shy about pulling the trigger. So. I'm sure he'd listen. That's a tough trade to make, though. It's a tough, tough trade to make because I know the Islanders really like Dobson. Forget that. It's the Devils and the Islanders. Ah, There's you not get over a ton that. of that
0: that goes on. I think you can get over that, especially if, you, if you're if you the Devils and you don't believe that Hall is going to sign with the Islanders. Anyway, another player to potentially look at there, Jean-Gabriel Pajot with the Ottawa Center, who's flying this year. He's playing great. Different type of player. But that's my point, is that the Islanders are in this situation now where they might be the team looking for the rentals and giving up some younger players because they need to look at saying, we can win the Stanley Cup now now. Rather than look to the future and what a Noah Dobson can bring us, and I'm not saying they'll trade Noah Dobson, and I know they like him, but it's the idea of that's on the table now for the Islanders.
1: Well, you're actually a legitimate uh, trade partner. You're not a you're not a yeah. fan. You're not going to get Taylor Hall for two minor leaguers <laughs> and a, a third so. round pick. <laughs>
0: I definitely don't think so. All right, let's go to our first guest. We got Nick Kotzanika our columnist for NHL.com. He covers the Red Wings in Detroit, the whole league. Nick, what's going on?
2: What, Danny? How about yourself?
0: Well, just another quiet day in the NHL world, right?
2: Yes, always. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Wanted to start with you, close to home obviously, with the Detroit Red Wings. Last week you had a chance to sit down with Steve Eiserman. I don't know that anybody else by the way has done that. Uh, get some thoughts from Steve Eiserman, and he's not dissatisfied with what he has seen from the Red Wings. He's Preaching patience, and they've got a number of guys that are part of the future of this franchise in the minor leagues. Zadina, Philip Zadina, being up now because of Anthony Mantha's injury. But what was your takeaway when you you chatted with Steve last week after the general manager's meeting in Toronto?
2: Well, Steve's a ninja. Like he just sort of you don't see him. He just sort of uh, sneaks in and out. Um, he's really good at sort of you know being quiet and understated doesn't speak to the media much. So, you know, I had to sort of head him off. Um, But my biggest takeaway from Steve is that he's not painting himself into any corners. He's not making any promises that can be used against him later. Uh, He's not making any grand pronouncements. Um, You know, he's a little more than a quarter of the way through his first season, um, you know, as GM of the Red Wings. And I think he's evaluating. I think he has a pretty good feel for, Um, his personnel and what he's got, but, you know, this is going to be a long process. He's going to be methodical. Um, He's going to go step-by-step and he's just going to let it play out. Like, I think the young players is the most, you know, they're the most interesting thing because this is all about development. Right. And he said, he told them, you know, go, you know, to Grand Rapids. I don't even want you thinking about coming up, just play hockey. That doesn't mean you won't come up. Um, but he wants their, their head in hockey and just getting better every day. Um, and then when it's the right time, they'll come up. And now we've seen Phil Zadina come up because of an injury to Mantis since then. Um, but I think that's going to be his approach with this team. It's just, you know, let's let it play out. Let's let's do things at the right time, seize opportunities when we're there, and be patient. Um, he's made a couple of trades, um, you know, and I think that those are good examples of that.
1: How does patience play in Detroit? Every market's different, right? They said for years in New York that a rebuild couldn't happen because it's New York. I don't know if I buy that. Detroit's another market, original six, proud history. How's it going to play if this takes a long time in Detroit?
3: It plays
2: better with Steve Eiserman than it played with Ken Holland. Uh, I think Steve Eiserman resets the clock in Detroit. Um, let's face it, you, you, there are high standards in Detroit. People were used to not only winning hockey, but you know, star-studded exciting hockey. You know, for 25 years, the Red Wings were the class of the NHL. They had a roster of Hall of Famers. Uh, they won four Stanley Cup championships in that period. Um, you know, there's been a lot of great hockey in Detroit, and now is the hard part. It's the down part of the cycle. Um, I think Steve coming in um gives it a fresh start you know like i said resets the clock it's not going to last forever i think people are, will lose patience eventually but for right now i think there's trust in steve um i think people are willing to let it play out for a while um as long as you know they do show improvement um i think that's going to be the key is they're going to have to draft well develop well you know, show some incremental improvement, and if they do that, uh, that'll keep people on board.
0: Isn't though? Isn't Steve's approach, which you just outlined, the same approach that Ken Holland had for years? Use Grand Rapids, use it to develop, to make sure players are ready, but you know, make sure they're more than ready to come up. And I mean, the difference obviously being the team isn't as successful in the NHL, but this is the model that Ken Holland used.
2: In a lot of ways, yes. And remember, Steve learned from Ken Holland. Um, you know, he sort of apprenticed under Ken Holland in the front office after he retired. Uh, but, you know, Steve has his own style. I think Steve, you know, you could argue is a little more proactive. Uh, like I said, he's made a couple of trades already, adding Perlini and Fabry, uh, which, you know, especially the Fabry trade looks like it could be uh, pretty good. You know, trying to find younger players with some upside. You know, they might be damaged goods, but they're, they're talented players with the ability to score and want to see if they can uh, do better with more opportunity in Detroit. Um, you know, but I, I go back to Tampa where, you know, Eisenman inherited uh, a team with Stamkos and Hedman, but also St. Louis and Le Calvier. Um, so he had more of a head start in Tampa, and I think they surpassed all expectations that first season going to the Eastern Conference final. But if you look at it, Steve wasn't fooled by that. And he still reconstructed that roster in a lot of ways. Uh, they missed the playoffs a couple years. He had to to go through uh, a building period, even in Tampa, and I, I would expect him to do something similar in Detroit.
0: The let's move on away from the the Red Wings to Seattle. Another story you covered for NHL.com last week. You know, catching up with Ron Francis in Toronto as well. We're nearly at the anniversary, the one year anniversary for when Seattle was officially granted a franchise. So where do we stand, Nick, in terms of name? logo and and frankly just building the organization
2: well they've come a tremendous way in a year um you know i was out there a year ago and you know the there was a a group of fans in a bar celebrating and the next day they they turned some silver shovels and turned some dirt uh outside what was known as key arena um and they they i think had four and a half employees uh, and I went in that office, and they were just empty desks, right? Or they like four they and a half? They were starting from scratch. They had, a half What's of that?
0: A, they had a half of an employee? Yeah,
2: yeah well, somebody who's part-time. Uh, right? Kind of like full, you. Four full-time <laughs> and a uh, half-timer. Um, and now they have the arena, the roof of the arena, just uh, in the last week, has been suspended completely on um, like steel struts. It's, it's like jacking up a car. So the arena is suspended in the air, and they're digging out 60,000 cubic uh, tons of dirt a day, or two cubic uh, feet, excuse me, of dirt a day, um, digging down to build out this new arena under the old roof. Uh, they've, they've got an AHL uh, affiliate, um, you know, arranged. They're, they're going to break ground on their uh, practice facility uh, in February. Uh, the name, I talked to Ty of LightWiki in the last few days. They're still hoping for around the All-Star game. Uh, they're down to some finalists, and they're, they're looking at logos, and they're, they're really working on that. So hopefully in the next little while here, you know, they'll have a name. Um, already people are committing to club seats, you know, signing multi-year contracts uh, for club seats, which is pretty remarkable when you consider they're not going to be on the ice for almost two years. Uh, and the arena is, is just a hole in the ground. So um, there's a lot of exciting stuff going on. And, you know, they've built their hockey ops. You've got Ron Francis, Ricky Olchek uh alex mendricki um you've got a, a set of pro scouts including cammy granado um they're already you know out in scouting and evaluating players and uh, it's it's pretty exciting they're, you know they come a long way they got a long way to go but uh time's going to move fast
1: that's all well and good but obviously the name the nickname is going to be key a, I want to know what your favorite is, because we did a player's poll from Player Media Tour, and one of the questions we asked was this. It's going to actually run tomorrow, but the answers were all over the place. So I'll give you just a couple of the best ones. Roosters, that was, that was Rasmus <laughs> Dalin. The Seattle Grunge yeah. was Ryan O'Reilly. Uh, A couple of guys wanted the Seahawks. Somebody wanted them to be the Space Needles. The Seahawks? Uh, Yeah, yeah, the Seahawks. Somebody wanted them to be the Space Needles. And I believe it was John Klingberg said they should be called the Pigeons. The
0: Pigeons? Yeah.
1: So what do you think out of the the five favorite names is going to be the one that ends up being their name?
2: It's funny, the Roosters, I got out of Ross and Stalin, and I think I asked him why. He just goes, I just think it would be funny. <laughs> but, As it uh, would. you know, my favorite is not going to happen. It's the Metropolitans. Like, I just think that's way too cool. Like, they're the first U.S. city to win the Stanley Cup. Um, why would you not want to? You know, and they are going to link to that history in lots of ways, but I would love them to be the Metropolitans. And then, you know, second to that, like, I want a classic name. Like, they're trying to have an instant original six type vibe, right? Like they've got a great hockey history. It's funny you mentioned the Seahawks. You know, They had a hockey team in Seattle named the Seahawks, a pro hockey team before there was an NFL team named the Seahawks. Like there's an incredible history there. So that's what I'd like. Like Metropolitan, Emeralds sounds classic because it's the Emerald City. Uh, I don't think any of those are going to be the name. Like my money would be on Sockeyes or Steelhead's. Um, but we'll, we'll see. Like, I really have no inside knowledge of, of what it's going to be, but like, you know, I, not to get too far in the weeds, but I did a big story on, on Seattle hockey history. And it's just, it's really cool. Like they, they beat the Montreal Canadians to win the Stanley cup in Seattle before, you know, before there was the NHL. Like, it's just a really cool history. And there's been pro hockey in Seattle almost continuously since then. So, um, you know, there, there's a pretty cool history there that I would love to them to link back to. Well,
0: that's for then. Let's wind it back to now. Uh, and we mentioned at the top of the show, you were not on yet, but we mentioned at the top of the show that we were going to ask you about Mike Babcock because you did cover Mike Babcock in Detroit for a number of years. You probably know him better than Sean and I know him. And obviously with the fallout of his firing in Toronto now, the latest being the Mitch Marner story uh, and the, the list that... Marner had to give Babcock a number of years ago. I'm curious, this style that Babcock has. How do you think it plays now with today's players? And is there a stain on him, or as he looks for another job, is he going to have to change his ways a little bit?
2: I think he'll have to change his ways a little. But like, a, I don't think there's a stain on him. Um, I think you look at coaches. He's uh, he's a damn good coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's an accomplished coach. Um, you know, I think you look at John Tortorella, uh, he's had multiple opportunities, um, with, uh, and we all know Torch's reputation and he's adjusted himself a bit, but he's still torts. And I think that would be the same for Babs. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I, I went back and pulled up a story I wrote in 2013, uh, for Yahoo back when I was in the NHL columnist fair, and the lead is pretty funny because, you know, this was at a time when maybe he did his best coaching job. The Red Wings were, you know, almost upset the Blackhawks in the playoffs that year when the Blackhawks went to win the Stanley Cup. Um, and Brendan Smith uh, gave me an anecdote. I said, what's your best, best bad story? And he goes, they lost the night before in Calgary. They're in Edmonton. Um, and Babcock told him he was going to be a healthy scratch. And Smith goes, okay. And Babcock snaps at him. No, that's not okay. <laughs> And Smith collects himself and he's like, okay, uh, all right, you're right. And Babs told him he needed to work on. And the next, at the skate the next morning, Babcock told him he was in the lineup. And here's the quote uh, from Smith. He goes, I don't know if it was playing with my mind or whatever it was, but I guess that's a funny story that I have about pads. Maybe he wanted some fire out of me and maybe a higher competition level. I'm not sure what the whole thing was, but he wanted me to play better and I did. You know, and this stuff has been going on with Mike his whole career. This is who he is. Like, he, he plays mind games. Um, he's tough on players. He prides himself on telling people what they don't necessarily want to hear but what they need to hear. In um, that same story, I asked Jakob Kindle, I'm like, y- you hate Babs? And he, without hesitation, at a morning skate before a playoff game, goes, oh, yeah, I'm not sure I'm the only one who hated him. He's hard. Wow. Like, when you win, that stuff is spun as part of Mike Babcock's genius. Mm-hmm. When you lose and you've struggled for a year, which is really what the Maple Leafs have done, uh, it all comes out in a negative way, right? Like, if you're going to have that style, like Torts did, um, you better win because it's, it's hard. It's hard to play for. And when things go off the rails, it's an easy way to for you to get attacked. And I think we saw the same thing when Torts left New York and other stops. So, you know, players did not love playing for Scotty Bowman. Um, we all know the famous quotes of, about Scotty. He he won, right? So I don't think I don't think that's the issue, right? So he, I'm sure you know if the money works out and Mike wants to coach again, there will be opportunities for him. I'm sure he'll have to adjust some things, but he's still going to be Mike Babcock, and you know you, you, it's all about results. If you win, you'll you'll be looked at as you know the hard nosed genius, and if you lose, uh, this is what happens.
1: Do you think he wants to coach again?
2: You know, I don't know. Uh, knowing Mike, I could I could see a couple different scenarios. I could, you know, he's a coach that's in his blood, but he's also a guy who prides himself on reinventing himself, chasing the next challenge. Uh, look, he's going to be paid very well for a long time to not coach. Um, so I'm sure he'll, he'll do some corporate consulting, which is what he's already done in the past. Maybe he wants to try a different role. Um, I could see him pushing himself to do something different. Um, I think it will just depend on on what presents itself and how the contract stuff works out.
0: And you will see the Toronto Maple Leafs. I believe you'll be there in Detroit uh, Wednesday night. So you'll see the Sheldon Keefe air off to a, a good start, two and zero. What are you looking for? You know, with these Maple Leafs now under Sheldon Keefe.
2: Well, like you have, I've been following from afar, and and you know, I see that there's an emphasis on skill work um, in practice, and there's a different vibe and. You know, I'm just going to go with my eyes open and ears open and just sort of see. Uh, like, I don't know Sheldon. I know of him. Um, so looking forward to meeting him and just sort of talking to him a little bit. Um, what I do like, you know, and I think whatever, whoever the coach is, and Mike Babcock said it himself, like, I think ultimately you want your president, GM, coach all in alignment, right? Like, there's you definitely want, you know, differing viewpoints within an organization. I think that's healthy, Um but at the end of the day, everybody's going to be pulling in the same direction. And so what I'm looking for now is all in on sort of the Kyle Dubas way, right? Like, Kyle is the GM. We all know what his style is. Sheldon has a history with him going back to the you know OHL and the AHL. So now bring that to the NHL. Like, go for it. Like, if this is what you believe in, um, then go for it you know, and go all in and have everybody on the same page and, and let's see what happens. And that's sort of what I'm looking for now with Toronto. Like, um, you know, let's let's see if this works. Um, you know, I think Kyle said it himself. He's betting his career on it.
0: Five four-goal comeback wins already. Five times teams have been down by four goals and they've come back to win two in a span of three days last week. The Panthers did it against the Ducks. The Rangers did it against the Canadiens. Why do you think we're seeing this? What, what has changed about the NHL when now, it's, if you're up four, it's still not safe?
2: Well, the easy answer is parity. Um, you know, and I think it's the same reason why we saw like a, a jump in playoff series comebacks, right? Where I also think teams see other teams do it, and they're like, this can be done, right? Like, so I think there's a little copycat um, emotion where you look around the league and you're like, hey, like I just saw a team the other night do this. Like, we're not out of it. Um, and I also think if, you know, the talent level is equal, um, you know, relatively across the board. So if another team, you know, lets the foot off the gas a little bit, you know, you're opening the door for the other team to come back. Um, you know, as we call it score effects, right? So mm-hmm. you sit back a little bit or you just, you're, you're not as aggressive, the other team's going to come at you and there's a good chance they can score. Or, you know, those are my theories whether it could be just a blip you know we'll have to see if it, the trend continues but that's that's what I think
0: uh, maybe you'll see one you know maybe you see one tomorrow night Nick. soon the four goal lead will be the worst it is, it is now it is <laughs> Ask the Montreal Canadiens if it's the worst lead in hockey, right?
2: It is. It is. That is the the funniest expression I've always thought. Like, like seriously. Like, like it is not. <laughs> Two it, it goal is, lead is not the worst lead in hockey. A one goal, goal lead is, is not a bad lead either. Lead a lead is good.
0: <laughs> a lead is good. Anyway, Nick, thank you so much yeah. for jumping on with us, chatting all things Babcock and Red Wings and the like. Thanks a lot, man
2: good talking to you. Happy Thanksgiving.
0: You can follow Nick on Twitter at Katsunika and the latest team to pull off that four-goal comeback was the New York Rangers, Sean, who are, who are playing better. I mean, they had the comeback against Montreal and then they were down a goal in the third period against the Wild on Monday. I covered the game at the Garden. They get a late power play. They score. They win it in overtime on a Tony D'Angelo goal. You've got Mika Zabanajad coming back into the lineup most likely on Wednesday against Carolina. It seems to me that the the rebuild situation here with the Rangers, they're, they're developing nicely, and that's what David Quinn was talking about after the game against the Wild, how you have to develop into a team. And that game against the Montreal Canadiens, the way they responded and the way things were on the bench, he said that was a moment where he kind of
1: realized we are developing into a team. And that would be great because – You want to see good things happen. The league's a better league when the Rangers are a good team in it. There's still some questions there, right? Their goaltending's not the greatest. Well, Lundqvist got
0: 455 wins now, fifth all time.
1: I understand that he's also playing to a nine ten save percentage. He's not playing to an elite save percentage, and neither is Gorgiev. So, um, you know, that's a problem. The depth scoring, look. Panarin's been everything that's been advertised you mentioned Tony D'Angelo he's having a year that nobody could imagine but you you get down among their forwards and there's some guys that are struggling to put some points up so the jury's still out on that team but yeah what they've done in the last week has certainly suggested that they're they're a better team than they were in October which is I think as management what you want to see
0: well that's exactly what you want to see and of course the jury's still out there's no question and there is some depth scoring issues there one of the guys that used to be a Frontline scorer for them, Matt Zuccarello, came back to Madison Square Garden on Monday with the Wild for the first time, faced the Rangers He uh, since being traded to Dallas on February 23rd. Then he signed with the Wild, and I was there, and it was emotional, and it was one of the more emotional video tributes I've seen. It was a great video the Rangers put together of a highlight package of Zuccarello on and off the ice, fans giving him a standing ovation. He was waving from the bench. Then he had to come over the boards and do a twirl and wave for them there. And, and not only that, before the game started, he was the last one off the ice from warm-ups. And the fans were chanting his name, and he waved going off the ice for warm-ups. I don't know that I've ever seen that before. You know why?
1: Why? Because he's you and me. Well, he's, yeah. He's an everyman. Look, this was a kid at 20 years old that was playing in the top level of Norwegian hockey. He was playing for a team out of Asker in Norway. You know who else is from Asker? no i'm but i know you do the lead singer of aha okay take on me all
0: right all right, right? <laughs> so <laughs> music takes by sean Roy.
1: <laughs> he's playing nowhere yeah and then he goes to the olympics he goes to moto for a couple of years he goes to the olympics has a great tournament we covered that tournament i was the matt zuccarello because i had oh the early you game. loved him i remember that early yeah. game every day and then when that tournament ended, I said, have you thought about playing in the NHL? He said, of course I have. Somebody would need to take a chance on me. Maybe you'll go tell them. <laughs> Maybe you go tell them. <laughs> and the next year, he signed with the Rangers. And it wasn't an instant. He went up and down to Connecticut a couple of yep. years. And then he became a star. It was the smile. He wasn't big enough to play in the league. He was all heart. He's New York. He may be from Norway, but he's New York. And the people loved him. The
0: people absolutely loved him. I, and I said it on Twitter. Uh, during the game, I said, I don't know. Other than Lundquist, there hasn't been a more beloved Ranger in the past decade or longer than Matt Zuccarello.
1: And he earned every every, every little bit of it.
0: And now he is with the Minnesota Wild, which is where we go next. For our next guest, we'll bring in Bill Guerin, the new GM of the Minnesota Wild. And, Billy, before we jumped on here, you were saying how you are about to fly overseas. You're going to London and then to Russia. Explain.
3: Yeah, uh, my daughter is, um, at Durham University over in England, uh, getting her master's degree. And, um, uh, I, I was headed to Russia anyway, so I decided to go a couple days early and, and visit with her real quick. I haven't seen her in three months. And the rest of my family decided to go too. So we're gonna, we're all gonna meet up there for a couple days and have a, a family Thanksgiving. And then I'm gonna head over to, to Moscow to meet with, uh, with Kaprasov and make sure we're on the same page and that everything's trending the right way.
0: And do you think it is with him?
3: I do. I do. I mean, I've been in close contact with his agent, um, Daniel Milstein. And, um, you know, he's indicating that everything's, uh, you know, on track and that Kirill wants to come over and, and play in the National Hockey League next year.
1: And that would be for next year? Yeah. Awesome. Uh, for this year's Wild, you, you know, you've had a while to see the team now. You kind of got into the job a little bit late, later than a lot of times you would inherit that general manager's job. What is your timetable as you look at this team and you try and figure out what you want to do and the stamp you want to put on it?
3: Well, uh, like you said, it was a, a an unusual time to to get this job. Um, not not a bad time. Yeah. Um, but I've, I've definitely had to take my time during the beginning part of the season to kind of evaluate everything that's that's going on. Um, you know, even if even if I wanted to bring, uh, you know, somebody from another team or, you know, some staff members on board, it's a little late to be doing that. So um, I, from top to bottom, I, I've just been evaluating um, how things have been run here in the past, how, how we want them to look in the future and where we want – the changes to take place if if any at all
0: how long billy do you give yourself for this evaluation period do you need a full season do you need less i mean wh- where where are you at in terms of like a timetable for evaluation
3: you know what there's certain kind of checkpoints during the year i mean uh, thanksgiving being one of them the new years um as we start inching closer to the trade deadline just assess where we are as a team and and the, the, the progress that, we've, that we're making. And, um, you know, I've said it before, a lot of what goes on here is going to be, ter- be determined by, by what the team shows me, what the coaching staff shows me, and, and, and how we're moving forward and getting better. Um, and to be honest with you, I, I've seen progress. I, I've seen progress in our game. Um, you know, this is a, a, you know, caught me off guard was, was how tight this team is. Um, how together they are, I, I think um, you know the, the expectations were, were almost the opposite coming in and I've been pleasantly surprised with it. So there's been a lot of you know our record doesn't doesn't show it, but um, there have been a lot of positive things that have gone on in Minnesota this year.
0: One of the things, Billy, we, we were riding the elevator at Madison Square Garden down after the overtime loss against the Rangers on Monday and it was yet another game where you have a lead in the third period, you commit a penalty, this one an offensive zone penalty give up a late power play goal and then lose in overtime. And it's like the sign of a team that's still trying to figure out how to win. It doesn't quite know. But this is not an inexperienced team either. So why do you think that is happening to this team when, I mean, you've got guys on this team that are veteran players.
3: Yeah, we do. And, um, you know, my, my expectations for, for that group are that they need to lead. And in times like that, they need to be better. And they, they can't be the ones – that are that are costing us games. They they're the ones that have to to lead the way. They have to pick everybody up around them and 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 show guys how it's done. We we we've, we've got players on our teams who on our team who have a lot of experience, um, you know, both in the NHL, international level, Olympics, all that stuff, uh, and, and they need to show the way. And you know what? It, it's um, it's something that we're all going through together, and that we have to. You know, and, and, and I take some responsibility for that too And that um, you know, I've won before and I, I, need to, I need to get my message across to the coaches and to the players as well on how, on how things uh, have to be done and, and what we expect. Are those
1: conversations a little bit different because of how veteran a team it is and the history you have with some of the guys on that team and, and bridging that gap from player and, and peer to manager?
3: Well, you, you have you have to have, I mean, everybody's different, so you have to manage everybody's personality differently. Um, but I, I'm a pretty blunt guy, and um, I feel like some of the, the older guys, like you know, like Koibu, uh like Suter, Freeze, they're 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 gonna they're gonna be told the truth and they're gonna be told bluntly, and that's I think that's just the best way to deliver it. And um, you know, that that's that's just where we are. Uh, that being said, I, I think we're we played some some really good hockey five-on-five. Five. We've been in control of games. We've let it slip away. And, uh, you know, and those guys have been a big part of that too. And uh, right now, you know, we're, we're getting to overtime. We're, unfortunately, we're, we're blowing leads, but we're getting there. We're getting points, um, you know, and, and we're playing very good hockey at times. And, and those older guys have been, uh, you know, a big part of that too. So, you know, even though we've lost some overtime games here and we're struggling three-on-three, We've, we've played some good five-on-five hockey, and there are some really good signs of, of, a, of a good hockey team here.
1: Uh, kind of to follow up on that a little bit, I'm curious. You you played for a Hall of Fame manager, and, and you served under another one that just went into the Hall of Fame this year. I'm wondering, as you approach this job for the first time, what the the biggest lesson you've taken from each guy in, in Lou Lamorello and Rutherford is, and Jimmy Rutherford.
3: Well, I mean, there's, honestly, there, there's there's so much. But I, I think, you know what, bo- both of them are the leaders of their team, and they're the ones that, that uh, you know, they, they set the tone, they set the culture. They're the ones that are, that are kind of uh, um, the, the leader of the whole thing, and everybody kind of just plays off that. They're, they're, they're setting the rules, they're setting the way things are going to be done, and, um, and everything just falls into place. Uh, both of them being very different, um, but both very effective. Um, you know, lose one of those guys that uh, probably has his his, his hands on, on a little bit more than than Jim does. Um, as for the like day to day stuff, but like I said, both very both very effective and guys that I learned a lot from.
0: Did you reach out to those two guys in particular when you got the job? Because you get it at an odd time. I think it was August 21st. You got it. And we already talked about. That doesn't give you much time, but did you reach out to Lamarillo and Jim Rutherford to seek their advice in your first few months on the job? What to expect?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, they reached out to me. I mean, it was it was overwhelming how many general managers reached out to to say congratulations and and offer advice and um, uh, you know uh, and just just offer their help. And um, but but Lou and uh, Lou and Jim were yeah, absolutely two of the guys that. You know, when they did reach out, you know, I was obviously in contact with Jim, but um, yeah, leaning on both of them for for a lot of advice, and uh, you know, it, it's it's uh, it's nice to have those relationships.
1: How many of those GMs that reached out had some uh, lopsided trade proposals for you? <laughs> uh,
3: yeah, uh, not not as many as you would think. They, a lot of them. I think that's that's kind of like the the first question everybody asks: like, who's who's trying to fleece you out there? And, no, a lot of them to be honest with you, did they, they first conversations they did not bring they did not bring up any sort of trades or anything like that. It was just sort of you know, kind of an introduction and congratulations and give me a, then give me a call when you when you think you want to do something.
0: <laughs> you know, I remember I saw you at a board of governors meeting too, the first one right before the season started and then at you're at the GM meetings in Toronto. So what has it been like now in this this spot? I mean, you're not that far removed from being on the ice, so now you're attending board of governors meetings and sitting in on GM's meetings. What's it been like for you? It's been interesting.
3: It really has. It's uh, to, to see it at, at you know at a different level, um, and I'm, I'm having fun with it. It's I, I mean I like I like seeing how this this side works, and you just keep getting more and more information as 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 you move along, and um, it's been absolutely fantastic. Like, you know what? I've, I've got tons of support back in Minnesota, um, from Craig Leopold and, uh, Matt make the team president, uh, you know, down to, down to my staff with Tom Curvers, Chris O'Hearn, Matt sells guys like that. And all the scouts, everybody's been super supportive. And, um, like I said, just going to the, going to the meetings like that, like the GM meetings was, they were a blast. I, I knew to keep my mouth shut. Um, <laughs> but it was it's been great.
0: Back on the ice though, I wanted to ask what are you what is the identity of the Minnesota Wild now that you've been able to evaluate for a couple of months and what how, what do you want it to be? How close are you to being to what you want it to be? What is it now? What do you want it to be?
3: Well, you know what? I mean, right now, uh we, we seem to have more su- most success when we're when we're player, playing a strong structured game and playing trying to get pucks low well in the offensive zone and playing a heavier game. Um, we're, we're not, um, you know, we're not a, a team that's built for, uh, for trading chances like river hockey or anything like that. But, um, you know what, the, the identity of the team that I want to build is, is, is just high, highly, competitive. Um, whether you're a skilled guy, a, a, you know, uh, kind of a role player, whatever it is, you, you're going to have to bring your, your competitive nature every night and, and when, that, when you do that, it's uh, you're going to give yourself the best chance to win.
1: When you go into, to go back to when we were talking about the meetings, when you go into those meetings, is it like walking into a new locker room, especially as a younger guy, maybe going back to your rookie days in, in the NHL and trying to figure out, you know, what the personalities are and what you can do and, and what you can't do?
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a really good, really good point. It's, it is it is like that because, you you know what, you have a lot of different personalities. You have a lot of different uh, managing styles, and it's just a matter of it's just a matter of getting to know everybody a little bit better and um, seeing how they do things. So have you guy
1: identified guy. the Scott Stevens yet? <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's a couple guys. <laughs> I want to know who gotta the first. Your, guy. You got to keep your head up.
0: <laughs> I want to know who you're targeting for your first guy that you'll fleece in a trade.
3: Jim Rutherford taught me early on: don't try to win a trade; make a fair deal. All make a right. fair deal because then you'll be able to make more trades as time goes on. you know, keep your relationships. If you try to win a trade, you'll never make one.
0: <laughs> it's pretty good advice, advice from a Hall of Famer. It's See, right. now I've learned it's something. Great, it's
3: great advice.
0: Yeah, Billy, yeah. we appreciate the time. Uh, safe travels over to England and Russia, and uh, we'll talk soon, all right?
3: Okay, guys. Thanks for having me on.
0: Thanks to Billy for jumping on with us, and certainly it's going to be interesting, Sean, to see what he does with the Minnesota Wild. He's taken that patient approach, and we talk about an identity for that team. I still think they're fighting to find one, and they have been for a long time. So very interesting to watch his approach with that team for the rest of this season and going forward. Before we close the show very interesting comments coming out of Chicago on Monday Robin Lehner on the shootout the goalie saying that he'd be okay if Blackhawks coach Jeremy Colleton pulled him in a game when the game goes to the shootout he's 8 and 22 in the shootout in his career he's got a 521 save percentage in the shootout clearly he doesn't like it and he'd be okay if it can, if he if he was pulled to for the shootout and a colder goalie goes in and i don't know that i've ever heard a goalie say that before
1: I can't believe it's never come up as the game's gone more to analytics and you look at the two goalies and one's really good in the shootout and the other one isn't. Look, Laner's historically bad. There's nobody that's faced 75 shots that's as bad as he is at 521. He said it's it's mental, right? Like all the things that happen in a shootout are the things he's no longer good at. He's learned to read the game. He anticipates where shots are going to be. And now you get in a shootout where a guy can come in at any speed he wants, from any angle he wants, and he can't. He can't judge it. He can judge a breakaway because of the path the guy's taken, how close the defenseman is, the way he puts his weight on his stick, all those things. In a shootout, a good shooter gets to hide all of those and can come from anywhere and shoot. So he's horrible at it. But to me, it's no different than Yara Mayager, who refused to do it, refused to take part in the shootout. The greatest goal scorer I maybe have ever seen in the most shooter friendly, goal scoring friendly competition there possibly is said, nope, I don't want to be a part of this. He was 21.9% in his career. Yeah. 21.9%. He could score from anywhere. So it's mental. And and I just, you know what? Jeremy Col- Jeremy Colleton, the coach in Chicago, would be a very brave man if he would turn to Corey, Corf- Corey for- Crawford and say, you know what? You go in and you win the shootout for us because... How do you do that to another goalie, right? Lehner can say that all he wants, but how do you take a cold goalie and say, here you go, it's all yours? Well, and Colleton said that it
0: had never been discussed before to do this. Well, now it has. And, and I, I would not be surprised because now somebody has brought it up. I would not be surprised if this becomes more of a talking point around the league.
1: You know what we're going to see? We're going to see the specialist. Yeah. You're <laughs> going to have a shootout goalie who's good at getting warmed up really quick, warms up in the locker room before the shootout. closing in like a closer, just yeah. like Mariano Rivera. Yeah, just bringing one pitch. Somebody will try it. <laughs> and, It'll be better than the sumo wrestler.
0: And, <laughs> but somebody's going to try it. And by the way, I would have loved to see Yarmir Yager on a shootout say, no, no, I need a defender out here. Let me get. St- I'm going to start on the wall, and I'm going to back into it
1: a little bit. And that's how I'm going to do my shootout move. Pay-per-view, <laughs> Yarmir Yager against Robin Lehner. In the shootout (laughs) I don't know that I'm paying to see it One guy's not good at it The other guy's not good at it Why are you going to pay to see it? It'll be the championship of bad shootout techniques There
0: you go You can put your money out for that That'll do it for us here on NHL at the Rink For this week's episode For everybody celebrating Happy Thanksgiving And until next week Enjoy the games